0: Welcome to Success Authorities Conversation Street with Leadership Authority Peter Beaumont and with Business Culture Authority Ron Lehman and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authorities Founder.
1: Then I want to focus on not just the acquisition, but the retention of staff and giving them opportunities. And so, when you go back to ask, you know, what has changed? Um, I mean, everything has changed from the the billable rates that we had previously. We're able to be more financially successful using the the rates that we were using before, or compete at a, at a different level, um, just because our, our overhead structure has changed. You know, as that has been consolidated, and obviously that's some of the the trends that you see within that merger and acquisition, you know, is how does that get get um, distributed and, and re- relate across the company divisionally, geographically, what have you.
0: So what you're saying is that the pricing structure now is more advantageous than it was before?
1: Yes, yeah, and, and by and large, what we have done is take taken the, the role to say, we're gonna use that to give better value to the clients. Okay, yep. okay.
0: And I- does that supersede Some of the um, pushback I would anticipate from your not being a local neighborhood organization that people are familiar with, because that was one of the things we talked about. How are people going to feel about now working with a company that's headquartered out of New York versus uh, something that was homegrown?
1: Yeah. I have not seen any negative response to that. Actually, I think most of the people that we've talked to, the clients, um, are actually more impressed that we now have multidisciplinary engineering services that we can do under our house because, again, as as we are looked to be the prime contract holder for the design process, the less um, people that then they have to go out and also find an engineer, a civil, uh, structural, what have you, we now have those opportunities un- under our own house. Not to say that a clients forced to choose those, but I feel like here in this market specifically, uh, those clients have been appreciative that we've been able to deliver that. Um, and then again, there's just one one kind of point of contact, one you know person to hold accountable.
2: And, and Michael, when you when you if if you have a client that says, "Yeah, we want to use your engineer mm-hmm. or your resources," are those folks coming from a different part of of Labella? Um, and, and if that's true, is there a, a integration process that you need to do to make sure that when they come in, um, your client who is connected to you and you're the way you do things that that engineer fits and seems like it's part of a, a cohesive offering.
1: Yeah. Again, back to that kind of marketing go no go decision. I think at the, at the first is always to say, what are, what do the clients need. So if this is a, Uh, a public RFQ where we're giving our qualifications, we need to check the box to make sure that those people have the expertise in that project type to be able to successfully serve the project. Um, And so they are ones that we have kind of said, it would be great to do those services in-house. It's more revenue for us. But to get the project to serve the client, we need to strategically think about um, that engineer being more local to where the project is located or have a history with the facilities folks at that particular location. And so, again, it's always a value based decision of how do we put teams together. Um, but back to your question about integration, you know, it, it really then comes back to um, from the engineering side within Labella, they are a separate vertical division. And so, how we track those revenue dollars and where the originating you know, kind of lead for that project type is, uh, we do have some internals about how do we track that and, you know, how it gets credited as kind of profit. Um, But other than that, it's really more about, you know, what the clients needs, where the project needs schedule timeline and deliverables. And as long as we can answer those those questions, um, from the client standpoint, it really shouldn't feel like they should um, notice any difference as long as they're getting good sound advice and they're getting through, you know, the process. As expected, um, and so that's our challenge always is to look at um, can they be served by in-house engineers um, and consultants, or do we need to provide you know unique expertise for say healthcare facilities, you know, a little bit more nuanced um, data centers, you know, a little bit more nuanced. Um, so again, we look at that on a project by project and client by client basis. Yeah, and you know, having worked on. Kind of another
2: part of this endeavor, the construction side of it with construction organizations. One of the things that they always talk about is you—you you end up putting together these teams um, of different organizations, whether it's subcontractors or you know the architecture, the engineers, the project leads, um, and so often the success um, of the project and of the communication comes down to personalities. It's who that person is. Um, you know every construction company in the world has um, engineers that they love working with and ones that they go oh oh brother this is going to be hard even if their technical skills are the same and it's um, and some of that has to do with geography I hear that a lot as well they don't really work the way we do here and and that sort of thing. Um, and I would imagine that as you work more and more with the engineer, For as an example, or consultants, that you start to find those people that you say, uh, that person really worked well, kind of was a fit for our client and the way we do
1: things and and Asheville and that area. It's a great observation. That absolutely has been the key um, takeaway that I have had, particularly with a civil engineer um, within the company. Uh, We had a smaller project, uh, again, trying to be Service to a client who maybe was not um, as experienced in going through the construction process, um, floated that as an opportunity to some of the local civil groups and got a basically a stone wall of say, hey, sorry, this, isn't, this is below a threshold of which we're taking projects on because we're busy right and so um kind of came back to our leadership and said listen this is an opportunity uh, here where we can provide full in-house engineering and services and the first response was well we don't have the people here within a certain geographic radius of where that project is located and sorry we're we're going to have to pass on that I said, so i i think i think we should really relook at that and maybe get a little bit more creative on how we put you know Put, yes, put somebody in, in a position for success and, and, and a good uh, experience. Uh, don't try and fit a, a, you know, a square peg in a round hole per se, but let's find a way to figure this thing out for the client. And so what we came back to was the best available with the right skill set was actually in Hoover, Alabama. So here we have a project where civil engineering is actually usually the most local because the zoning reg- regulations and what the process for knowing, you know, kind of the political lay of the land or what triggers the rezoning requirement, those type of things. But we kind of came back to was that individual is just lockstep in terms of what do you need. Like, let's not try to make this more complicated than it is. And 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 again, it came back to kind of a, a very low key ego standpoint. Say, how can we serve that client in that project? And again. We're not all the way through that project, but we got through the regulatory pieces with with a pretty successful outcome, um, and again did so with eyes wide open to say, "Hey, we're not hiding anything about how we're doing business, but this is what we think is a is a workable solution." And to be able to follow through and deliver on that, you know, it, it was it was a meaningful um, kind of feather that I'll, I'll wear, and and then gave me purpose to say, go back to you know our 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 um, civil folks and leadership in Charlotte to say, "Hey, this worked." You know, let, let's continue to keep, um, you know, that individual, you know, focused on actual work where it makes sense, um, while maybe we continue to look for a, a person that can have boots on the ground here as a lo- more longer term solution. Mm-hmm.
2: Gently yeah, stirring it, the pot, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. But that, you know, that client focus that you've mentioned several times yeah, um, is something that I, I think that's the advantage for a large company saying why we want these local, you know, we want, um, coverage in all these geographic areas, but, um, then also that autonomy to say, you know, how to deal with your clients and whatever those nuances are, as opposed to saying, well, you know, we're building a school in Minnesota and we're building one in Florida and it's pretty much all the same at some level. That's always true, but, um, the client doesn't want to feel that
1: way hundred percent. I think we They want to walk they this feel
2: that this is nobody's ever, this is the marquee project.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's a well-stated and a line we have to walk uh, all the time is to say, we have um, tremendous expertise and a track record, but that's not going to say that we're going to force that on you. Um, that is kind of, I think maybe some of the, um, I don't know, maybe some architects give, give the rest of us a bad rap of that ego to say, it's my way or the highway. I'm the professional. You kind of get in line with me. Um, that's, not, that's not how we operate. I think it's, um, it sets up for um, just a really bad relationship long-term. Um, but to flip it and say that we can use our expertise and, and kind of help you avoid some pitfalls but this is, this is the value-based decision that we're going to make for your project. And it's understanding, it's putting ourselves in their shoes to know what is most important, right? Is it time? Is it schedule? Is it design ex- excellence? Is it you know some other intangible factor? Um, it kind of comes back to um, one of the books I love um, was uh, Matthew Frederick's 101 Things I Learned in Architecture School. And one of the things it talks about is that you know, being process-oriented and not product-driven being the most important but difficult skill to develop. So that we're currently we're constantly trying to put ourselves in our client's shoes. Operations are everything. And so if you can't understand how they operate or how they want to operate, you know how are you going to make decisions on how the space is physically set up that kind of give them an opportunity to be successful? So... Um, I keep coming back to that to say, you know, we look for ideas that can be transformational, but we use our design expertise to kind of um, lead them to that path. But it has to be ultimately their decision.
2: And I'm sure it works the other way, too, as you're working with builders then to, you know, if you come at it from, well, this is the client and here's why we're doing this, as opposed to yeah, as you said, the ego which i I often hear stories about, um the architect demands that this is their project, and they're gonna do it this way, and here's why um and it just has a different feel um than it does to say, you know we're kind of a large partnership here with the yeah. client and us and the engineers and the and builders and subcontractors, and it's an incredibly complicated um Process complex, yeah. I think, is a better word than complicated. It's a complex process, and there's a lot of humans. Um, as a, I'll just share this piece of potential wisdom, which is not my own. Um, uh, a concrete um, supervisor told me once that concrete's easy, people are hard. And he said, the technical part of this job, we know what we're doing, but it's managing the people of at all around and working with them and creating that autonomy with within lanes. He used to talk about I want people to feel like they can bring ideas and make decisions, but here's the parameter here are the things that are locked in and then there's a playground in the middle there that we can work on. but that's that takes a lot of time, which leads me to another question which is how much of your time is spent on sort of the um, leading the business, Unit that you have, the office that you have, versus doing the work with clients.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Actually, I have um, some scheduled opportunities to look a little bit more detailed at just the metrics of that. How, like, looking back at the last quarter and maybe projecting a little bit to the next. Um, I would say that we, we did trip over it, kind of maybe intangible threshold of people here where I I have seen a trend to managing people rather than managing projects. And um, I don't want to get to a point where I'm just, completely detached and devoid from the project one as a business development person or, or the, w- the role in which I f- see fulfilling business development is actually selling myself not to sell others to hand it off or whatever right um but I would say that you know th- it feels like a right mix right now is kind of 20 to 30 percent of time spent on cultivating current client relationships meeting new uh, you know people here locally finding out opportunities for for you know new new endeavors, um, but I, I don't want to get away from managing projects and being, you know, intimately involved. Maybe not drawing every line and 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 kind of coordinating every piece of it. But I think that the the key piece and way that I found is to have that kind of higher level look. Again, back to that kind of values base. What are the critical success factors on each project? Making sure that we identify them early. That we revisit them at milestones to say, are we hitting those? Are we fulfilling our obligations? Um, and that as we transition from one phase of design to the next or building, uh, that we're not losing track inside of those. Yeah.
2: I, Michael, let me
0: ask you a question. For me. The, um, I've worked not with a lot of architects, businesses, and, and or construction businesses, but um, the ones that have uh, been successful at business development have not relied upon the partners to bring in the business because that's not their sweet spot. The sweet spot is managing projects yeah. and doing architectural work. Yeah. So they um, they hired one of them. And in fact, I came across a couple that done this, uh, taught them to be dangerous <laughs> because they were natural salesmen. And they would be the first filter and they would bring people in then for people like yourself to actually convert. Have you thought about that?
1: We've had a model of that previously. Um, I think we found that at least at the head of each of our um, studio disciplines, um, there naturally needs to be kind of a principal or officer of the company that has that ability to go out and get new work, right? But yes, we are are very much a setup to then convert those um, internally to that vertical market. So we have a national uh, leader of our sports and entertainment studio um, and he is actively working on projects with clients. Um, but we found that that to be a more successful rather than, like you said, the they kind of know enough to be dangerous to say, no, we really know we've done these projects. Um, um, within Labelle, again, the, the larger organization, we do have maybe a little different um, business development as an outside uh, entity. Um but he is really more overseeing all the verticals, right? So he kind of knows in his, his background in transportation engineering, but is learning enough to be able to kind of connect dots with some of those municipal clients to say, Hey, we don't know, also have these architectural services or these mm-hmm. geotechnical and, and survey. And so it's, it's more about kind of cross pollination across our vertical markets. Um, that has actually been a nice um uh, nice to see um, that we didn't have as a as a need under, you know, Odell's previous structure. But I think it comes yeah. back to, we, we kind of make the case, especially in, you know, the interview or the proposal stage is to say, you know, the people you see at the table are the people you're going to get to run your projects. We're, this is not just a sales team and we're going to hand you off. And And that's an incredibly powerful um statement and argument to make is that we're, we're not here just to kind of convert the project and you're never, never going to see us again. Um, but these are the people you're going to be working with on an active day-to-day project. Because ultimately, that's who they want to get to know. That's the rapport they want to have, not with some C-suite that's flying in and they're never going to see again on the project.
2: Mm-hmm. Or a business development person who yep. you know gets the lead and then maybe is at the meeting, but doesn't, you know, they don't contribute a lot and that was a model i know in the construction industry for years is there was a business development person who was basically the entertainment director um and but never you know was not um part of the team that i mean they yeah as you said never saw him again
1: yeah Um, i think i think one of the other key pieces is and, and maybe this is unique to us and maybe it's not but i think one of the key you know, again, for kind of striving to to younger staff and the opportunity for mentorship is to say that not everybody can feel comfortable in that room of a cocktail hour and socialization and what we kind of perceive as this business development on the golf course, what have you. But you can do, to, do tremendous business development by succeeding on a project for a client to convert that into a a repeat you know, client. And so everybody has opportunity to, 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 to contribute in that way. And actually the, the, the expense of marketing dollars is, you know, kind of leads us to say converting an existing client into a repeat client is the most economical way to do that. So make sure that we kind of preach that mm-hmm. to say that your involvement on the project, even at the lowest production level has opportunity for converting repeat client business. Yeah.
2: As well as referrals and mm-hmm. word of mouth and yeah, success is, an excellent salesperson.
1: Yeah.
2: Michael, something both you and Peter mentioned, and I I just want to get some more thoughts from you on this is so many, you know, you start your career because you like the work or you like whatever it is, architecture, you know, and, and as you grow, you transition to more of a leadership role. Mm -hmm. Um, and for a lot of, um, businesses especially entrepreneurs they start the business because they love the work and then at some point they have to start working on the business as opposed to in the business can you talk a little bit about your career and and how how you've
1: experienced that transition yeah it's it's great um again kind of just doing some prep on this and thinking back to the journey you know so i've been in this position uh with the company or, or as they kind of account for years of service um you know going on 15 years. Um, but the thing has been that as as those have asked for opportunities within career, and they can kind of articulate and voice for themselves what path they want their career to take, um, that that door has always been open for me. So as I was able to transition from an intern to a licensed architect, to a project manager, to leading a local office, to growing that local office, the response has always been, if you can kind of You know, these are the expectations. These are the metrics in which we're going to hold you to. If you can kind of succeed on those, then, you know, opportunity is available. Um, So, again, I don't know if that's unique to other organizations, but I found a lot of uh, fulfillment in that kind of seeing what's next.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversation Street. For more information or to submit a question, email successauthorities at inquire at successauthorities.com.
1: not feeling like I'm being pigeonholed or, or kind of backed into a corner that I can't get out of right so at a certain point in in my career you know maybe it's going to you know be to say you need to be specialized within a vertical you know market studio within the architectural division but my my sense has been I'd, lo- I'd love to continue to be a generalist right i think that there are principles that you can take from healthcare and apply to sports and hospitality i think there are code related things related to multifamily and apartments that could be applied to mixed use developments and again that kind of Giving the groundwork for people to kind of, kind of float between because you never want to be in one studio or sector that has the downturn and then be like, well, I'm kind of obsolete because we're not making you know X, Y, Z projects anymore. Um, for me, it's kind of can can continue to come back to not what we do or how we do it, but like Simon Sinek talked about, if you start with why and are grounded in why being the point of which we start. You know, I come to say. Yeah, maybe it would have been easier along some point in my career to say I'm just going to break out and do my own thing. But I feel felt like I feel like I was always fulfilled and given the opportunity and support to say here leading this local office is the closest. Um, I feel like I need to be to running my own thing because then I still have all the all the support and backup and admin uh, that then I would be doing all on my own. Um, and so for me, it's been that why has continued to come back to. I want to be able to create a lasting impact. I want to you know, create projects for clients that stand the test of time, uh, to be part of something bigger than myself, you know, meaning that being part of a large organization gives me opportunities to work on projects that I wouldn't be able to fulfill on my owner as a sole proprietor, and then to use those skills for good. How can we look at affecting communities and the places in which we serve? Um, and I always come back to the say I get a lot of fulfillment on projects here locally that may not ever make Labella's corporate website, you know, but they give us a lot of credibility and come back to that client service we talked about is to say, we're going to serve projects with, you know, passion and imagination and, and vigor and everything, regardless of if it's a $100 million project or a $100,000 project.
2: Yeah, I would just add one thing to something you said that just from listening to you talk and how you approach it is there's the, the what you do, the how you do it, but there's also who you are while you're doing it—that mm-hmm. authenticity and transparency—and yeah. I suspect um, that because that's been your journey, that you've been given up, you've prepared yourself, and then been given opportunities. That is that also something then you try and do for
1: um, the folks that you're working with that are coming up. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and we've, we've kind of preached that mentorship is a two-way street, right? I, got, I can learn a lot from some younger, you know, staff that have maybe a different perspective, um, a different approach, um, maybe a technical skill that, you know, was, was taught in school that was just not available. You know, we're talking about VR and AR and all, you know, AI and all the stuff that, you know, is, is kind of over my head pretty quickly. Um, but looking for their, uh, the right application in, in a client's workflow or, or projects workflow um, to say that, yes, I was given opportunities and I want to be able to pass those on to others. Um, I think that authenticity is, is a, is a great observation is a key piece. And, and, um, maybe Asheville's, you know, kind of the right place for that, because I feel like, uh, somebody told me, uh, as I was starting to say, look, you know, don't be surprised if they're going to wait to see if you're in business two to three years down the line. Um, they've been served by a lot of people that have made a lot of promises and then closed shop and moved on. Or they were working on a project here locally. But then when that was done, they're going to transition to move away. And it's about continuing to show up. It's a continue to be there, continue to kind of be invested in the community. And then and then the natural piece is the business comes you know, from that. You, you, you work with people that you uh, admire, get along with respect, et cetera.
0: we've rolled through an hour quite quickly and um, Michael it's been a pleasure and I think if uh, if anything I take away from this is that uh, you're you're constantly learning and, and improving with everything I mean I have always been impressed with your outlook on things because you always see the the glass half full you see the bigger picture and you don't sweat the small stuff and, and cliches, be they what they may, may be. Uh, really appreciate how that comes together when you're in the leadership role with your company and with with other things that you and I have been part of. So thank you yeah, for that.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate it. Peter, Ron, Linda, thank you for the time. It's been an been a honor to kind of at least per, put my perspective uh, here out there and, and uh, appreciate being involved. Oh, it's much appreciated
2: by us, and thanks yeah. for being part of the conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed, very much yeah. so. All right, thanks, Michael. Yeah,
1: y'all you take care. Too. Have Thank a great you. rest of the week.
0: You, you too. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye.